People in the Dakotas and northern Minnesota saw wind chills plummet to minus 50. That's colder than the top of Mount Everest. Well, that seals it. I'm not going to Dakotas or Mount Everest. Well, I don't know why I came here tonight. I got the feeling that something ain't right. No, it ain't. I'm so scared in case I fall off my chair. And I'm wondering how I'll get down the stairs. Clowns to the left of me, jokers to the right. Here I am, stuck in the middle with you. Yep. Yes, I'm stuck in the middle. From with Pacifica you. Radio in Los Angeles, this is the broadcast as heard on KPFK 90.7 FM in LA. Up in Red Bluff and Redding, California on KFOI and Round Mountain on KKRN and in Eureka on KGOE. In Oregon, on the Central Coast, on KYAQ, Cottage Grove's KSO, and Eugene's KEPW. In Lancaster, Pennsylvania, on WLRI, Maui, Hawaii's KAKU. In Columbus, Ohio, on WGRN, Palinville, New York's WLPP. In Grand Rapids, Michigan, on WPRR, New Orleans, WHIV, Gallup, New Mexico's KNIZ. In Concord, New Hampshire's uh, on WNHN, in Fayetteville, Arkansas on KPSQ, Seattle's KODX, Goldendale, Washington's KVGD, and yes, in Chile, Minneapolis, St. Paul on AM 950 KTNF. We also stream coast to coast and around the globe for you every day, so you never need to leave your house. Because uh, it's cold on the Progressive Voices Channel, Netroots Radio, Indie Media Weekly, FYI Nation, NicoleSandler.com, Radio Free Brooklyn, GDPR, Revolution 99, Workforce Rising, and Deprogrammed Radio, and Detour Talk, Blanketing Planet Earth five days a week. Planet Earth could use a blanket, at least some parts of it today. I'm Brad Friedman, your friendly investigative blogger, journalist, troublemaker, muckraker, and all-around swell fellow, says me, from bradblog.com. Thank you very much for joining us today. And yes, baby, it's cold outside for much yes. of the country. Is that fair to say, Desi Doyen? I think that's more than fair. Record cold, insane cold. Folks up in Minnesota, as I said, listening to the broadcast are fighting wind chills down in the... Negative 50 and negative 60 range. Yes, it's insane. Which I can't even fathom. I can't even comprehend how cold 60 degrees below zero must be. It's cold. Even for folks in Minnesota, by the way, who are used to uh, this kind of bitter cold weather this time of year. Actually, not this kind of bitter cold weather. I think this is even cold for them up there. Uh, and, of course, the global warming denialist wingnuts and suckers are taking the opportunity to pretend that this means climate change is a hoax because it's cold out. Because that's what they do. In some parts of the U.S., if pretty much nowhere else on the globe. But among those wingnuts and suckers, that would include naturally the president of the United States today. We will be joined in a bit by 30-year meteorologist Guy, climate guy Walton, to explain what's really going on and how it, yes, connects to global warming. Warming. Imagine that. No matter how cold it, is, it happens to be in just one small part of the globe today. And oh yeah, while it's as much as, as I said, 50 degrees below normal temperatures in some places today, it'll be up to about 20 or 30 degrees 
above normal temperatures by Sunday and Monday. Like an extreme swing from really, really cold, and then suddenly it's going to jump 70 degrees. Wow. Kind of crazy, huh? Yeah, that's kind of like the extreme swings that climate scientists have been predicting. Well, we'll see if it happens on Sunday or Monday. Right now, it's just a climate model, and who knows what those crazy scientists uh, (laughs) know or don't know by then. Uh, In any event, probably good news for some very cold folks uh, today, but not great news either way for our climate and the the people trying to survive on this planet. So I'm looking forward to speaking with Guy Walton shortly. But let's see. Record temperatures are not the only bluster blowing through Washington, D.C. Oh, I see what you did there. See what I did? Yes. Nice segue. Thank you. Well, okay. First, we actually have to start on Tuesday. According to AP... Directly contradicting President Donald Trump, President Donald Trump's own U.S. intelligence agency chiefs told Congress that North Korea is unlikely to dismantle its nuclear arsenal, that the Islamic State or ISIS remains a threat, and that the Iran nuclear deal is working, among other things. The chiefs, again, Donald Trump's own appointed top intelligence officials, made no mention of a crisis at the U.S.-Mexican border for which Trump has considered declaring a national emergency if Democrats don't agree to give him $5.7 billion to begin building his southern border wall by February 15th, when the federal government could be shut down yet again unless there is an agreement uh, with Trump. The uh, analysis of uh, from those uh, top intelligence officials that were appointed by Donald Trump on all of those matters and more stands in sharp contrast to Trump's almost singular focus on security gaps at the at the southern border as the biggest threat facing the U.S. Top security officials, including FBI Director Christopher Wray, uh, CIA Director Gina Haspel and Director of National Intelligence Dan Coats, all presented an update to the Senate Intelligence Committee on Tuesday on their annual assessment of global threats. They warned of an increasingly diverse range of security dangers around the globe from North Korea, uh, North Korean nuclear weapons to Chinese cyber espionage to Russian campaigns to undermine Western democracies. Coates said that intelligence information does not support the idea that North Korean leader Kim Jong-un will eliminate his nuclear weapons and the capacity for building more, a notion that is the basis of the Trump administration's negotiating strategy with them. The World Threat Assessment Report, on which Coates based his testimony on Tuesday uh, with the uh, U.S. Senate Intelligence Committee, said that the intelligence community continues to, quote, observe activity inconsistent with full nuclear disarmament by the North. Trump asserted, you'll recall, after the Singapore summit some months ago, that North Korea no longer poses a nuclear threat. But Coates and other intel officials made clear that they, at least, see it differently than the president of the United States, who may have super secret uh, intel sources somewhere that he hasn't told his top intelligence officials about, I guess. More broadly, the intelligence report released this week on which Coates and the heads of the other intel agencies based their testimony on Tuesday predicted 
that security threats to the U.S. and its allies this year will expand and diversify, driven in part by China and Russia, they argue. It, they say that uh, Moscow and Beijing are more aligned than, uh, together than at any other point since the mid-1950s, since the middle of the Cold War, I guess. And their global influence is now rising even as U.S. relations with its own traditional allies are now in flux under Trump's um, leadership. Some U.S. allies and partners are seeking greater independence from Washington in response to their perception of changing U.S. policies on security and trade, the new report warned. The report also said that ISIS, quote, remains a terrorist and insurgent threat inside Iraq and Syria. In Syria, of course, Trump has ordered a full withdrawal of U.S. troops. The government of Bashar Assad is likely to consolidate control with Russia and Iran, attempting to further entrench themselves in Syria, according to the report from Donald Trump's own intelligence agencies, his own intelligence appointees. One of those appointees, Gina Haspel, the uh, director of the CIA, said at this Senate hearing about ISIS, quote, they are still dangerous, adding that they still command, quote, thousands of fighters in Iraq and Syria. Syria, of course, is where Donald Trump said that they have that we have defeated ISIS during the Tuesday hearing. Coates, the director of national intelligence appointed by Trump, also challenged Trump's insistence that the Islamic State had been defeated, which is the key rationale for his decision to exit from Syria. The intel agency said that Iran continues to work with other parties to the nuclear deal that it reached with the U.S. and uh, other Western nations. In doing so, they said... It has lessened the nuclear threat in the region, even though in May of 2018, as you'll recall, Trump withdrew the U.S. from that accord, which he called a terrible deal that would not stop Iran from going nucle nuclear. However, it appears, so far at least, that it has stopped Iran from going nuclear. Surprise! For now, according to Trump's own intelligence officials, the Iran deal is working. That is the opposite of what Trump has repeatedly been claiming. Again, because he has these super secret uh, high top level intel uh, people or something that uh, even his own high top level intel people don't have, that I guess. That could also be the voices That's got in his to be. head. Or it could be the voices in his head. You're right. I knew he was getting that information from somewhere. He wouldn't just make it up and pull it <laughs> out of his... Whatever. The intelligence assessment of Afghanistan, more than 17 years into a war that began after the 9-11 attacks on the U.S., the uh, report was uh, projected to continue as a military stalemate, according to this uh, report. Quote, neither the Afghan government nor the Taliban will be able to gain a strategic military advantage in the Afghan war in the coming year if the U.S. maintains its current levels of support. Trump has ordered a partial pullback there as well of U.S. forces this year, although there are no actual plans in place. He's just claiming as much. Coates, Coates told the committee that Russia and perhaps other countries are likely to attempt to use social media and other means to influence the 2020 U.S. presidential election. 
The report specifically warned about Russia's cyber attack capabilities, saying, quote, Moscow is now staging cyber attack assets to allow it to disrupt or damage U.S. civilian and military infrastructure during a crisis. Here's a little bit of what Dan Coats had to say at that uh, at the U.S. Senate intelligence hearing. We face significant changes in the domestic and global environment that have resulted in an increasingly complex and uncertain world. And we must be ready. We must be ready to meet 21st century challenges and recognize emerging threats. I first would like to mention election security. We assess that foreign actors will view the 2020 U.S. elections as an opportunity to advance their interests. We expect them to refine their capabilities and add new tactics as they learn from each other's experiences and efforts in previous elections. On the heels of our successful efforts to protect the integrity of the 2018 midterm elections, we are now focused on incorporating lessons learned in preparation for the 2020 elections. So that was Dan Coats, the uh, head of the director of national intelligence on Tuesday, speaking to the U.S. Senate Intelligence Committee uh, about his concern about the uh, election, the presidential election in 2020. What he didn't talk about, I wish he had, at least he didn't as far as I know, he didn't point out that all of the computer scientists and security experts recommend hand-marked paper ballots for every vote cast as the only auditable way of knowing for certain how the American people intended to vote in that 2020 presidential election. That at the same time that a whole bunch of folks in Congress, Republicans and Democrats alike, have been pushing for systems that are not auditable, that will uh, put us pretty much into a situation we are right now where we have no idea who actually won or lost a presidential election, as is the case after the 2016 presidential election. It's really important for people to understand a paper ballot is not enough. It needs to be a hand-marked paper ballot. So all of these things, uh, Donald Trump's own, his own CIA director, Gina Haspel, admitting uh, that Iran remains in compliance with the nuclear deal struck under President Obama, but withdrawn from by Trump. Uh, after he claimed they were not in compliance with it. All of these things. I, I hope the new assessment and the testimony, again, from Trump's own intelligence officials in the U.S. Senate, wherein they contradicted Trump on damn near everything, I hope that that fact was being adequately covered and reported to the American people this week. Because you need to know about it and the fact that these are are these are not so-called deep state Democrats trying to undermine uh, the president. This is not the deep state, uh, which, you know, when uh, Donald Trump, while he was running in, in the campaign and then after he came into office, he could claim, oh, well, these intelligence officials, they're left over from Obama. They, they don't know what they're talking about. These aren't my people. Well, his own people, his own intelligence officials are issuing these warnings and statements of what they describe as facts and saying that the president is absolutely wrong on one point after another concerning pretty much everything regarding foreign policy. Now, they could be right or they could be wrong, by the way, but these are not Obama's supposed deep state Democrats undermining the president uh, as he likes to pretend. 
And remember, FBI Director Christopher Wray, CIA Director Gina Haspel, uh, Director of National Intelligence Dan Coats, and others all appeared before this committee on uh, Tuesday to describe their uh, annual assessment of threats to the U.S. And the U.S.-Mexico border did not make their list. House Intelligence Committee Chair Adam Schiff, Democrat from California, uh, tipped his hand on Wednesday saying that he would use Tuesday's testimony from those intelligence chiefs in order to shoot down any rationale that Donald Trump might offer to declare a national emergency over the border. If he tries to use that card to fund a border wall when the three-week continuing resolution tick-tock that is uh, now in play, that has reopened the government as of last Friday. But uh, he could, Donald Trump, could either close down the government when this continuing resolution ends on February 15 or declare a national emergency. If he does, it looks like uh, Adam Schiff, speaking on MSNBC this morning, uh, is ready to use this testimony from Donald Trump's own people to say, no, there is no such emergency. Uh, the contradictions between what our intelligence agencies have to say about North Korea's plans to denuclearize or the, the status uh, of ISIS in Syria or elsewhere and what the president has been promoting, uh, it's obviously very important that the American people understand the truth uh, mm -hmm. and what we know about the threats facing the country. You know, I will say this also, though, that glaring absence that you talked about earlier, the fact that none of the intel chiefs brought up a threat at the southern border mm -hmm. as being one of the most pressing threats facing the country, that could be exhibit A in a challenge to any kind of a declaration of a national emergency. The fact that none of our intelligence agencies think it's an emergency, the fact that Congress uh, on both parties uh, don't think this is an emergency, uh, I think if anything is going to undermine that legal case that the president may try to make, uh, that hearing yesterday could be a central exhibit. I suspect it will be a central exhibit if he tries that, if Trump tries to declare a national emergency. I mean, he's really boxed himself into a corner here, Trump has. It's very unclear, to say the least, as to what will actually happen on February 15. Democrats today are also reportedly, say, reportedly saying that they have no interest whatsoever in working with Trump on some sort of a temporary short-term deal to protect Dreamers, the uh, children of immigrants who were brought here as kids, in exchange for this uh, wall funding. And frankly, Trump's extremist supporters, they don't want a short-term or a permanent fix to, uh, to DACA to protect those kids. So... What does Trump do now on February 15? Who knows? But I wouldn't bet against another shutdown, to be frank. I also wouldn't bet against him declaring a national emergency. At which point, then, I think the House Democrats can sue to stop him from doing so. And then that would be when this Senate Intelligence Committee testimony comes into play. And then Donald Trump either loses, uh, I'm sorry, either wins with his uh, rigged U.S. Supreme Court, who uh, gives him the OK for this, or he loses and he's allowed to complain how the uh, leftist courts uh, are, are doing him wrong and he needs to uh, needs to appoint more more judges that agree with him. So that's a potential pathway yeah, out of there. It's win win, sort of. <laughs> In any event, um with this report from the U.S. Intel and, and the testimony from Trump's own officials here, he 
again, uh, you know, he may have some super secret uh, top intel that nobody actually knows about uh, because he went on the offensive against his own officials today on Twitter, his own appointees, according to the uh, New York Times. President Trump pushed back on Wednesday against his intelligence chief's national security assessments, tweeting that, quote, the intelligence people seem to be extremely passive and naive when it comes to the dangers of Iran. They are wrong, he tweeted. He said, when I became president, Iran was making trouble all over the Middle East and beyond. Since ending the terrible nuclear deal, they are much different. They are testing rockets last week and more and are coming very close to the edge. So he is trying to say that now that he's broken the deal with them, that they are testing rockets and causing trouble. Uh, anyway, I don't I never understand what he says. He adds, perhaps intelligence should go back to school. Uh, so he also defended his own uh, more positive appraisals of the uh, th threats from North Korea and the Islamic State and so forth. He uh, reasserted his own conclusions and trumpeted his accomplishments on critical national security matters. He said that the Islamic State's control in parts of Iraq and Syria, quote, will soon be destroyed. Well, he had told us recently that it had been destroyed and that there was, quote, a decent chance of denuclearization in North Korea. The divergent views of a president and his intelligence agencies may diminish trust from the public and from American allies about U.S. foreign policy goals, the New York Times claims. The uh, disparities could also discourage Americans from working in the intelligence field. Senator Mark Warner of Virginia, he's the top Democrat on the Senate Intel Committee, said people risk their lives for the intelligence that Trump just tosses aside on Twitter. Uh, Adam Schiff, again, uh, head of the uh, Intel Committee in the House, said if you're going to ignore that information, then you're going to make poor decisions. Well, if there's one thing that Donald Trump excels at, it would be at making poor decisions. <laughs> He's got a long record of it. Uh, Congressman Mike Gallagher, a Republican of Wisconsin, defended the Intel agencies on Wednesday, saying they are doing a very difficult job and they are actually trying to advance the president's priorities. So um, one more here from uh, Doug Weiss, a uh, career CIA official and a former uh, top deputy at the Defense Intelligence Agency, said, quote, this is a consequence of narcissism, but it is all, but it is a strong and inappropriate public political pressure to get the intelligence community leadership aligned with Trump's political goals. He said the existential danger to the nation is when the policymaker corrupts the role of the intelligence agencies, which is to provide unbiased and apolitical intelligence to inform policy. Now, where has that ever been a problem in this country, Dick Cheney? Just asking. Uh, do I have to? All right. Very quickly here. One more. Um, the uh, the. Uh, I've been trying to get to this one all week. And the um, well, the Daily Beast reported that the new leadership on the House Intelligence Committee, that would be the Democrats since uh, they took back the majority. They are eager to revive the panel's probe into the connections between uh, Donald Trump's camp and Russia, 
which is an urgency underscored by the recent indictment of Roger Stone, the Trump associate accused of lying to uh, to its investigation, to the House Intelligence Committee's investigation. But three weeks into the Democratic-controlled Congress, House Republicans have not taken a critical step necessary for the committee to actually begin its work. The House Republican leadership has yet to name the Intelligence Committee's Republican membership for the new Congress, with the exception of retaining Devin Nunes uh, as the ranking Republican. Um, he's the only one named. Without doing so, the committee is stalled. They can have no hearings, no internal business meetings, etc. cetera. Uh, Rachel Maddow noted this last Friday, this uh, Republican intransigence and uh, basically slow walking the House Intelligence Committee. But a look at the committees um, which have and don't have Republican members announced so far makes it pretty clear what the holdup is. So there's about, oh, I want to say 25 committees, agriculture, appropriation, armed services, education and labor, energy and commerce, financial services, etc., homeland security, all of these, uh, the even the Joint Committee on the Library, the Joint Committee on Printing, the Joint Committee on Taxation, they all have their members. They can all go ahead and meet and hold hearings and do whatever business they need to do. Um, but the uh, four committees on which Republic, where Republicans have not named any members, well, the Permanent Select Committee on Intelligence that I just mentioned, the Republican minority leader in the House, Kevin McCarthy, on Sunday said he would be appointing uh, members to that committee this week. Unless it's happened within the past few hours, uh, he has not done so with the uh, week more than half gone now. But the other committees uh, also that have no Republican members the Select Committee on the Climate Crisis. Desi Doyen, are <laughs> you shocked? Surprised. No, not at all. Also, the Ethics Committee has no Republican members for some reason. Another non-shocker. And the House Administration Committee, uh, which oversees things like election challenges uh, in the U.S. House, for example, like the North Carolina 9th Congressional District where there is still no member seated in the U.S. House, thanks to the investigation into the massive GOP absentee ballot fraud scandal that has uh, kept anyone from being seated in that, uh, in, that, in that seat for North Carolina. So those are the four committees that, for some reason, the Republicans don't wish to move ahead with. Uh, California Congresswoman Jackie Speer, who sits on the House in Intel Committee, said that she was losing patience with her Republican colleagues for refusing to name members to the committee on uh, Tuesday night. The House Intel has all the Democrats named to the committee, but you don't have all the Republicans named to the committee. Is that correct? That's absolutely correct. And it should be of no surprise to anyone that they are dragging their feet. They do not want this committee to start its work. And at some point, we're going to lose our patience and have to do something more dramatic if they don't actually appoint their members and allow the committee to organize and get started. So what can't you do until they appoint their members? 
we can't really do anything because we have been appointed uh, by our caucus. We can go down and look at documents within the committee, but we really cannot do any work. Subpoenas cannot be issued, to my knowledge. Uh, there is no path forward for us to uh, reinstitute the investigation until they organize on their side. So that's going on, uh, slow walking in the U.S. House for some reason. Uh, Jackie Spear saying uh, if at some point they will have to do something more dramatic, unclear what that something more dramatic is or could possibly be. But that's where we are. That's what uh, Republicans uh, have come to at this point. They're worried about these committee hearings. So long as we keep them from happening, nothing bad can happen, right? Quick break, and we'll be back to talk about something bad that is happening, climate change and this blast of cold air across uh, parts of the uh, North Midwest and Northeast today. I'm Brad Friedman, and this is your Bradcast. Hey, this is Brad. Please consider supporting whichever progressive media outlet is serving you. Most, just like us, do not receive corporate or political support. We all need your support to keep up the resistance, now more than ever. From Desi Doyen and myself, thank you. Welcome back to the Bradcast. Brad Friedman from bradblog.com. Frozen Arctic winds brought record low temperatures across much of the U.S. Midwest on Wednesday, unnerving residents otherwise well accustomed to brutal winters and keeping them huddled indoors as offices closed and even mail carriers halted their rounds. Classes were canceled on Wednesday and Thursday in many cities, including Chicago, home of the nation's largest school system. And yes, Chicago is used to cold weather, but not this cold. In a rare move, the U.S. Postal Service appeared to temporarily set aside its credo that neither snow nor rain or gloom of night would stop its work. It halted deliveries from parts of the Dakotas through Ohio. Temperatures in parts of the northern plains and Great Lakes plunged to uh, as low as minus 42 degrees Fahrenheit in Park Rapids, Minnesota, and minus 31 in Fargo, North Dakota, according to the National Weather Service. And that was before... Wind chills were factored in. Some of the coldest wind chills were recorded in International Falls, Minnesota, at 55 degrees, minus 55 degrees Fahrenheit. Even the South Pole in Antarctica, Antarctica was warmer with an expected low of just only uh, minus 24 degrees Fahrenheit there with the with the wind chill it was colder in Minnesota than in the in the south pole the bitter cold was caused by a displacement of the polar vortex a stream of air that normally spins around the stratosphere over the north pole but whose current was disrupted for some reason that we may get into in a second and was uh, now pushing south at least five deaths relating to the cold weather have been reported since Saturday in Iowa, Indiana, Illinois, Wisconsin, and Minnesota, according to the uh, local media reports. Somini Sengupta of the uh, New York Times observed on Tuesday, 
In Chicago, officials warned about the risk of almost instant frostbite on what could be the city's coldest day ever. Warming centers opened around the Midwest and schools and universities closed throughout the region uh, as a rare as rare polar winds streamed down from the Arctic. At the very same time, on the other side of the planet, however, wildfires raged in Australia's record breaking heat. Soaring air conditioner use overloaded electrical grids and caused widespread power failures. The authorities slowed and canceled trams in order to save power there. Labor leaders called for laws that would require businesses to close when temperatures reach hazardous levels. Nearly 116 degrees Fahrenheit or 47 degrees uh, Celsius, as was the case last week in Adelaide, the capital of South Australia. This is weather in the age of extremes, Sengupta writes. It comes on top of multiple extremes, all kinds, in all kinds of places. Of course, as we predicted on several green news reports uh, recently, the plummeting temperatures would bring yet another round of whatever happened to global warming and where's Al Gore now? He, he, he. From the hilarious climate change denialists and fossil fuel dupes from Fox News to the White House, which, of course, is not a very long distance these days. And as usual, those folks did not disappoint. The president of the United States tweeted this week, what the hell is going on with global waming? Yes, he wrote waming. He didn't type warming. It was a typo, I guess, Uh, before he then added, please come back fast. We need you. Yes, we need you, Global Waming. Of course, Donald Trump and his fossil-fueled Fox News fans probably did not look much further than outside their front doors. For example, down to Australia, where they've been battling that record heat for the past several weeks, with highs topping out near 120 degrees, or even just up to Alaska, where temperatures were above freezing and much warmer than they were in Minnesota and Wisconsin, disturbingly enough. The age of extremes indeed. Joining us now for some actual information and perspective on all of this is a man who has been tracking those extremes for many years now on a daily basis with his extreme temperature diary. Guy Walton is a 30-year Weather Channel veteran based in Atlanta, Georgia, and tracker of daily extremes at his website, GuyOnClimate.com. He's also an author with Nick Walker of the new and delightfully snarky illustrated children's book and climate primer entitled World of Thermo, Thermometer Rising. Climate Guy, Guy Walton, welcome back to the broadcast, sir. Well, thank you, Brad, so much for uh, having me. Good to have you here. I know you're based in Atlanta, and uh, it's not too cold there. But I did notice that your your wingnut, uh, your new wingnut governor down there, Brian Kemp, has actually shut down the state government on Wednesday because one to two inches of snow were expected across the state. Guy, now I'm I'm from Missouri originally, so maybe I'm used to a lot of snow, but. Shutting down government for one to two inches, is that really necessary in Georgia, or have Republicans these days just become fond of finding any excuse to shut down the government at this point? Oh, no, Brad, that, that actually goes back to the uh, January 2014, where we actually had one to two inches of snow falling during the middle of the day when the temperatures were in the lower 20s, and with the sun coming down mm-hmm. uh, on the pavement, all that snow melted and then turned to ice on the uh, roads, and then we just had slip and slide, and people couldn't be 
couldn't get home for mm-hmm. a couple of days and and uh, I had a big mess and uh at the time we had a uh a mayor here who got blamed for it so that was pretty bad so anytime that there's a mention of snow coming in um to Atlanta everybody gets paranoid now and well shut the the government schools down for not a very good reason or at least meteorologically and um uh, if the model says it's going to snow, and if and, and of course it didn't happen this time around, uh, they'll shut it down. We actually had um, uh, some people build uh, mud men, mm-hmm. <laughs> little snowmen made of mud, because we didn't. We only only got a few flakes <laughs> at most around town. <laughs> well, uh, yeah. So I was going. I was going to for a second apologize to your wingnut governor Brian Kemp, but it sounds like I I shouldn't. That there was really no reason to shut the entire government down. In any event, I know you have been very busy of late, guy, uh, tracking extreme temps of all types uh, at your blog and on Twitter. Uh, but before we get to that, uh, can you give us sort of the thirty second primer? Take a minute if you need uh, to explain what a polar vortex actually is and why it is so cold at least uh in some parts of the united states uh a, lot, a large part of the united states actually united states actually if not a large part of the world okay well let's just first explain about what the polar vortex is and that is the circumpolar vortex that mm-hmm. actually encompasses the entire northern hemisphere and what we experienced over the Midwest uh, today and Northeast tomorrow is actually a, um, it's called, it's, a, it's really a depression mm-hmm. uh, or cold pocket uh, that actually is circular oblong and it just sits over an area for uh, a certain amount of time mm-hmm. and produces extremely cold weather. In this case, the thing was so cold, it was it's producing literally hundreds of reports of uh, record lows. This time around. Mm. Now, often during the uh, summer, we um, we talk about heat domes. So, uh, if you think about a dome, of course, it mm-hmm. rises in the atmosphere. It's very, it's warm, and, and in this case, in the atmosphere, it's warm and very high up. Well, a, uh, a vortex in the atmosphere is actually a depression, where if you think about uh, a column of air, uh, if it's cold, it's not going to be quite so 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 high, and that. It, it sinks and becomes colder, and um, that's what a, 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 a vortex is, or an appendage of the vortex, rather, is. And, and just in case the president is listening, because I know he's a big fan of the Bradcast uh, guy, we have always had a polar vortex, right? It's just now sort of slipping and changing its, its pattern uh, into the U.S. more frequently. Do I understand that correctly? And if so, why is that happening? Well, now... What's happening is that the polar vortex, and again, what's happening today is like the vortex itself. We have a little bit of problem with nomenclature here. Mm -hmm. The vortex itself spreads all the way through Siberia, and it goes all the way around with the jet. But if you get a appendage of the vortex, Mm -hmm. which can be called a vortex, it's like a a sub-vortex. Sometimes it can sit over an area. But what we're having... Right now, as far as global warming goes, is we're having a lot of warmth from the subtropics moving northward over the polar areas mm-hmm. where uh, prior to, say, the 1970s, uh, we hadn't been seeing that as, as much. And so you'll have, uh, if, you, if you think of a, a balloon that's uh, being 
pinched and mm-hmm. and uh, forced. Uh, instead of being circular or long, it'll it'll pinch off. So we have a big pinched off uh, a vortex. But uh, interesting with this one, it, it's it's not encompassing the entire U.S. as past ones did, and it's not uh, even spreading as far south as um, we've usually seen them in the past. I mean, it's going to get down to about 20 below in Chicago, say. It's going to get way down to where it's maybe close to zero in, in Atlanta, if the mm-hmm. jet stream's right. But it just, the cold air is just not moving quite as far south as this one. So, But... Uh, well, Go ahead. Well, no, well. So when the uh, you know when it gets cold and it seems like these uh, these depressions seem to come down into the northeast frequently, where the news media are and where the government is. Uh, but when that cold air comes down, it's not a case of more cold air on the globe. It's just basically depressed uh, cold air. We've got now warmer air that moves it down. So we don't have a colder globe. We just have a difference in where the cold and warm air is. Am I understanding that correctly? Yes and no. Okay. <laughs> uh, what you have, what we had in the past when we had Arctic outbreaks during the 70s and 80s, mm-hmm. we had a larger, colder polar vortex encompassing the northern hemisphere. Mm-hmm. Now we have a warmer polar vortex, which is not quite as large, and it's and it's and we have a, it's having a tendency to pinch off mm-hmm. pieces which go in circular motion. Um, at not quite as infrequently as we had, say, during the 1960s or 70s or even the 80s. And, uh, but when they do pinch off, mm-hmm. they're quite cold, and you can get cold, cold air, uh, colder than what you have right now at the North Pole, sitting right over, say, Chicago or Detroit. Or right, maybe into the northeast. And I, th- I think what I meant to ask was not uh, comparing it to the 60s or 70s, but rather just on the globe itself. In other words, the cold air comes down from the Arctic, uh, you know, on a day-to-day basis. It comes down from the Arctic. Uh, it, it, it leads to D- uh, Donald Trump uh, tweeting about it. But overall, the globe has not, at the moment, become colder. It's just the temperatures, the cold air, is in a different place. It is not cold everywhere, in other words. Right. In fact, I checked the climate reanalyzer today, and uh, it's quite a bit above uh, long-term averages if you look at the reds and the blues Mm -hmm. uh, on the map. And um, so we still have global warming, despite it being cold in one place. Gotcha. And uh, occasionally, yes, occasionally uh, during the winter, uh, at some point, at where the globe's average is now, you're going to have some portion of the United States experience record cold. And um, about the only rem- uh, um, winter I can remember when it wasn't such that we had a record warm winter was that of uh, uh, the winter of 2015, 2016, recently. And uh, we did have snow. I remember we had snow that winter in, in the winter of 16 in the Northeast, and it was cold, but we didn't have much record cold, and that was the warmest winter on record in, in the uh, 
in the United States. If well, Jeff Baradelli, uh, you note uh, a meteorologist uh, who you cite over at your extreme temperature diary today, says that it will go from being 50 below normal near Chicago tonight to being 30 degrees above normal on Sunday and Monday. He says, now that's some crazy weather. Are are extreme swings like that uh, also thought to be an effect of anthropomorphic climate change as well? Not just the the cold itself or the heat itself, but the actual swings from one extreme to the other? In my experience, I think so. I, I do really think so. For example, it's almost unheard of, but right now, uh, portions of Michigan are near 20 below zero. And uh, by Sunday, they'll be having uh, perhaps some uh, rain. Mm-hmm. <laughs> and that's not very far away from now. Uh, no, it's not. Uh, Somini uh, Sangupta, who I cited on her story on the age of weather extremes at the Times, uh, she writes that heat records were toppled from Norway to Algeria last year. In parts of Australia, drought has gone on so long that a child in kindergarten will hardly have seen rain in her lifetime. And California saw its most ruinous wildfires ever in 2018, triggering a bankruptcy filing this week by the state's largest utility, Pacific Gas and Electric. Uh, Guy Walton, I'm struck by uh, her comment about a child in kindergarten. And yes, uh, we'll talk about your children's book in a moment if we can. Uh, but a child in, uh, in kindergarten in Australia never having seen rain. Now, I know whenever it gets really hot, climate change folks point to that as evidence of global warming. Whenever it gets really cold, deny. Nihilists say, you know, where's Al Gore now? But uh, you've been at this for 30 years as a meteorologist. Uh, Beyond these insane extremes we've been talking about, has there really been a noticeable change overall uh, throughout your career, your work as a meteorolo- uh, from a meteorological perspective? Has there been a noticeable change in the day-to-day numbers that you have observed over that uh, over that period across the globe? Um, well, are we talking about the United? If you're talking about the United States, um, yes, it's changed, but uh, it's it's almost un- imperceptible mm-hmm. to some of the public, especially some living down in the southeast, because the weather's not changing quite as much here as it is elsewhere. But we are noticing that two to one ratio, and, and a little bit more now this day, decade of. Uh, more record heat than cold, as far as the raw numbers go. Mm-hmm. I would say that as far as Australia goes, that uh, is being hit faster and harder than uh, most of Norfolk, North America, except for perhaps the West Coast, and in particular California, which seems to be getting the brunt of um, climate change of the last decade. I, I don't know if you have... <sighs> put yourself through uh, following what Fox News has been saying uh, during this cold snap. But uh, Donald Trump, I'm sure you saw, uh, tweeted on Tuesday night, in the beautiful Midwest, wind chill temperatures are reaching minus 60 degrees, the coldest ever recorded. In coming days, expected to get even colder. People can't last outside even for minutes. What the hell is going on with global waning? Uh, please come back fast. We need you. Um, have uh, have you noticed if the uh, usual denialist crowd, and I know they, they haunt you on Twitter with some regularity, uh, have these folks even noticed the extreme record heat that 
we're talking about in places like Australia over the past several weeks? Uh, are they connecting the climate change dots to any of this, or do you just see them doing their usual, hey, where's Al Gore now nonsense? Well, so far I've seen them do the uh, old uh, Al Gore nonsense, and of course I quipped out a tweet of my own when I saw Donald Trump's tweet. Mm-hmm. But um, a lot of this is out of greed and to perhaps make more money through the fossil fuel industry, and mm-hmm. to some extent it's just denial uh, in that um, they're afraid the uh, uh, Titanic, they, they, they know deep down the Titanic is sinking, they're just not wanting to admit that the ship's going to go under the water, so to speak. Mm. Uh, so there's a lot of um, psychological denial going on and uh, between different um, political, I'd say, factions, of course. Well, that's putting... Uh, some people... Yeah, well, I was, go ahead. I, I was going to say that's putting it nicely, uh, but I and I'm short on time, so very quickly. Uh, more importantly, I think than what Fox News is saying about it, this seems like uh, a good opportunity uh, for the mainstream corporate media, who usually do not discuss climate change at all and connect the dots from you know hurricanes and floods and droughts and wildfires, and yes, cold snaps. Uh, they don't usually connect that to global warming. Uh, in order to discuss climate change. Uh, this seems like a good chance for them to do that. Have they been doing that this time around, uh, as far as you've noticed, Guy? I have noticed that they've been doing it on MSNBC. But I think as far as the rest of the media goes, no. And again, the same old song and dance. Uh, the media will wait for another huge heat wave across the U.S. or more extreme strong and strange hurricanes, and then it'll be all over the media. It's... Uh, it's uh, yes. Groundhog Day is coming up, and yes, we're experiencing that as far as the uh, old uh, climate change denial um, bit goes, I'm afraid. I'm afraid so. Uh, all we can do, though, is keep talking about it and hope uh, hope more and more Americans notice. I, I uh, On our Green News report, Desi Doyen reported uh, recently that... Uh, a, a a huge majority now, I think it was 72% of Americans now see climate change as a serious concern. Uh, so we're getting somewhere, Guy. Uh, very quickly, last thought. I, I know your new book with uh, Nick Walker, um, World of Thermo, Thermometer Rising, a new children's book, is now out. I believe it's available now as an ebook as well. Uh, why should listeners consider buying it for their children or even for themselves, Guy? Well, uh, most people and uh, children um, haven't realized how long the climate debate has actually been going on. And um, actually, um, you know, the history of what happened uh, back during the 20th century and before that, and then uh, uh, gradually as you get to where, where the book ends, or at least the first one, I'm hoping, mm-hmm. in 2005, you can actually see uh, to a, a certain extent, uh, even at a, a grade school level, uh, how much it's become intertwined uh, with uh, politics, mm. which is unfortunate. But that kind of gets in there a little bit. And uh, yes, uh, but gets a little starky at times on a, a childlike level. But uh, I think people actually do need to know um, how long um, uh, greed and uh, other factors have been um, hurting the uh, hurting our chance as a human species to actually get out of this mess. 
We will and, uh, deal with that. We will uh, link to your new book, World of Thermo Thermometer Rising, uh, Climate Guy Guy Walton. Uh, you can, you should follow him on the Twitters where he is Climate Guy W. And, of course, you can read his daily extreme temperature diary every day uh, at GuyOnClimate.com. I notice he never has a day when he doesn't have much to write about these days, unfortunately. Guy Walton, uh, greatly appreciate you joining us today and hope to talk to you again soon. Uh, Thank you so much for having me, Brad and Desi. You bet. Thank you for being had. All right, we'll take a quick break here, uh, and we're back with a little bit more science, but uh, some good science news, uh, at least for smokers. That's next on the Bradcast. I'm Brad Friedman. Five major corporations now control more than 80% of the media in the United States, but they don't control us. The Bradcast and the Green News Report are 100% independent, 100% listener-supported. But we can't do it alone. We need you. Please help us bring real facts to listeners at independent stations around the nation. You can make a difference. Support independent media. Drop by bradblog.com donate. That's bradblog.com donate. And thanks. Welcome back to the Bradcast. Brad Friedman from bradblog.com. This story just broke just before airtime. I want to try to sneak it in here at the end because I haven't been able to talk about this now for a while, for several years, since Donald Trump came to town and kind of changed everything that everybody does about everything, it seems like. Some good news regarding vaping, which I have uh, long argued that the uh, U.S. government, whether it's and, and local governments around the country, whether it's Republicans or Democrats, and it's mostly Democrats, are making just getting all wrong. They're just getting it all wrong by making it harder for people to vape and harder, therefore, for people to quit smoking and therefore harder for those people to quit dying, frankly. Uh, Top of the New York Times this afternoon. It has been one of the most pressing unanswered questions in public health. Do e-cigarettes actually help smokers quit? Now, Times writes, the first large rigorous assessment offers an unequivocal answer. That answer is yes. That is excellent news. The study was published Wednesday in the New England Journal of Medicine. It found that e-cigarettes or, or vaping uh, was nearly twice, twice as effective as conventional nicotine replacement products like patches and gums for quitting smoking. They don't mention inhalers. Yes, though, pharmaceutical companies who put out these nicotine devices also put out uh, vaporizers that are, you know, not unlike vaping. Uh, Many researchers who study tobacco and nicotine said it gave them, this study gave them clear evidence that they had been looking for. Dr. Neil Benowitz, the chief of clinical pharmacology at the University of California in San Francisco, an expert in uh, nicotine absorption and tobacco-related illnesses. He was not involved in the project. He said, this is a seminal study. It is so important to the field. Study was conducted in Britain and funded by the National Institute 
for health research and cancer research in the UK. For a year, it followed 886 smokers assigned randomly to either use e-cigarettes or traditional nicotine replacement therapies. Tobacco use, it should be noted, causes nearly 6 million deaths worldwide each year, including 480,000 in the U.S. Yes, that's half a million Americans killed thanks to tobacco in the U.S., according to the Center for uh, Disease Control and Prevention. If tobacco use trends continue, the global death tally is projected to reach 8 million deaths annually by 2030. This, as our own FDA has been working very hard to make it more difficult to vape, to buy vaping products. Putting mom and pop shops around the country who, by the way, hate big tobacco, putting them out of business. They have had to shut down because of what the FDA is uh, is doing to uh, to restrict e-cigarettes and vaping. I have experienced this personally as a vapor who who quit a, a decades long two pack a day habit uh, pretty much overnight thanks to vaping. I'm talking about this because I want to help save some lives if I can. And uh, Democrats who fight so hard for health care, the same Democrats who are fighting for health care for Americans are fighting to make it harder for people to use e-cigarettes. It's insane. Well, now there's a study showing that they are twice as effective as the crap that the pharmaceutical companies uh, sell. E-cigarettes provided the nicotine provide the nicotine that smokers crave without the toxic tar and carcinogens that come from inhaling burning tobacco, the Times says. But regulators in the U.S., Britain, and elsewhere have not approved them to be marketed as smoking cessation tools, even though we now know they are at least twice as effective. Because, you know, I guess maybe mom and pop shops don't donate to campaigns in the huge numbers that uh, pharmaceutical companies who make billions, billions off the nicotine industry that they do in selling patches and gums and, yes, inhalers. Health professionals have been reluctant to recommend the use of e-cigs because of the lack of clear evidence from randomized controlled uh, trials. The uh, lead author of the study says that is now likely to change and not a moment too soon. Got to get out. My thanks to our producer, Desi Doyen, to my guest today, uh, climate guy, Guy Walton. And, of course, to you for spending a portion of your day or night with us. If you missed any portion of today's show or any other, download it anytime for free at bradblog.com or your favorite podcast site. But we do appreciate uh, those who stop by bradblog.com slash donate to help Desi and I continue to do what we try to do every day over your public airwaves and have done now for 15 years at bradblog.com, where we're celebrating our anniversary. I almost said our emergency. (laughs) Uh, You can also drop me email. I'm bradcast at bradblog.com on the Facebooks and the Twitters. I am simply the Brad blog. See you there until we see you tomorrow. Until next time, I'm Brad Friedman. Good luck, world.